The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. Greetings. Welcome to a new episode of Toddler's Takedowns. I'm Tyler Peters, your host. This edition looks at AWA Super Sunday from 1983. Paul Hogan challenged champion Nick Bockwinkle with Bobby Heenan. Vern Gagne comes out of retirement, teaming up with Mad Dog Vashon, plus more outstanding action. Thanks to SJP World Media for their continued support. Our date is Sunday, April 24th, 1983. Mean Gene Okerlund performs the ring announcing duties. Our commentator is Rod Trungard. Our first match features Rocky Stone versus Brad Reagans, and the referee is Bob Warren. Reagans comes from an Olympic background, meaning amateur. He began encroaching at Stone, attempted to outmaneuver his opposition from a scientific point of view. Reagans tested Stone's grappling capabilities. The arm became emphasized regarding this painful state thanks to the Olympic wrestler. Timing is persistent from hold to hold and a key takedown. How do you like that? Reagan's innate technique kept Stone grounded. For illustration, Stone couldn't exert any leverage because Reagan's slammed Rocky back onto the mat while executing an armbar submission hold. Stone elaborated on the Olympians' weaknesses after striking the midsection. It's one good Technically themed matchup. Reagan's was too much, though, and defeated Stone via what appeared to be a gut wrench or side-to-side suplex. In other words, Okerlund conducted the post-match interviews. Our venue was the St. Paul Civic Center. Okerlund stated wrestling programs are available for vendors. Now that's old school, I'll tell you. Our second match was Steve Regal versus Rock and Roll Buck Zumhoff, Trungard, said Zumhoff gets a chance against light heavyweight champion Mike Graham later at the next AWA event. Zumhoff came out to rockabilly music and carried a boombox, which was interesting. I noticed these matches follow a technical pattern. Vern Gagne, who was the promoter, loves this style coming from the amateur and Olympic-themed backgrounds. Regal and Zumhoff exchanged tactical methods early. Regal was known as Mr. Electricity. He took advantage of the small openings, both exhibited methodically with their counteractive strikes. Zumhoff broke up the tempo. Regal's ring intellect proved vital. Zumhoff fought to gain any momentum, yet Regal halted that progress. Wrestlers fed off the crowd's energy was another takeaway. Steady defensive moves stopped Zumhoff until a flurry of offense, which saw a flying body drop in Zumhoff winning the match. The third match is Jerry the King Lawler versus the Golden Greek John Tolis. It's important to remark that Gene Okerlund promoted Lawler's appearance on the David Letterman show. Lawler confronted Andy Kaufman as Okerlund would state, even a replay of the broadcast would be available in the St. Paul and Minneapolis TV markets. So that goes to show you, to give you a little of the, of the backstory about Lawler and Kaufman, 
how that feud was going in Memphis and already a relationship with the King and Vern Gagne in the AWA. And of course, Jerry, the King Lawler did defeat Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning before he was Mr. Perfect to be the AWA World Heavyweight Champion. And there was a relationship with Jerry Jarrett and Jerry Lawler and Vern Gagne and AWA and some other promotions. So it's very compelling stuff, to say the least. And Tolis attacks Lawler, and the Golden Greek demonstrates ring awareness early on. He targeted the King's hands. Why take away his punching power is the question. It's very simple. How can the King come back at the Golden Greek with those vicious right and left hands? And also, how is Lawler going to pick up and execute a pound driver if his wrists and hands are getting targeted early from Tolis. Lawler fired back up as King used the headlock as a whiplash type of movement, which was very intriguing. We don't witness any flashy moves, was a note uh, typed up. Basic storytelling can express logical art inside the ring. Tolis threw Lawler over the top rope, causing a DQ, or so I thought. The bout continues, and Tolis progresses with his punishment. Lawler only got motivated, and Lawler hit the pal driver to attain victory. And I know I added some depth when we looked at world-class championship wrestling, as I meant to say at the top of the program, where we uh, studied an episode of it. But I'm just going to give you a little bit of liner notes when I can. I'm not always going to promise my research will be that thorough. But I digress. We'll continue on looking at AWA Super Sunday from 1983. The fourth match featured women's tag team action. It was for the women's tag team titles. The Texas Cowgirls consists of Wendy Richter and Joyce Grable. Opposite Judy Martin and Velvet McIntyre. Those names probably sound familiar. They also had stents in the World Wrestling Federation, the WWE now. Martin engaged the champs. I like the way it started off immediately. Velvet opposes Wendy at first. There's that word again. Grable gave Velvet a cheap shot. Richter levels McIntyre with a shoulder tackle. She tried this move one too many after missing going through the ropes to the outside floor. What interesting movements by Velvet. Joyce tags in McIntyre applies ligament pressure via an arm bar. Martin contains such pain on Grable. These ladies are all legends. Richter feels a double-team assault from the challengers. Wendy located Joyce for assistance. Grable used Velvet's hair as a weapon for punishment. Martin alters this match complexion by giving her team momentum. It's a solid contest. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Grable and Richter retain the ladies' tag team titles for the AWA. It was a fun match, a lot of action, good psychology. I mean, what more do you expect? Good to see the ladies getting some love here. Even during this time in the late, well, not the late 80s, the early 80s. Let me back up. Uh, It was in the 80s somewhere. I'll even have to make fun of myself there. Our next match was the fifth one on the card. It was Dizzy Ed Boulder, a.k.a. Brutus Beefcake. Ed Leslie is his real name, versus Wahoo McDaniel. Boulder tried out-muscling Wahoo. McDaniel chops Dizzy Ed. He's making him dizzy, I'll tell you, after those chops. Lawler joins commentary, which was cool because he's one of the great color commentators with 
J.R. Jim Ross later on in the Attitude Era. And we all know the promos, the all his wonderful characteristics when t- referencing Jerry the King Lawler, the King of Memphis, his history with the AWA as well. Wahoo poses such an intimidating presence versus different wrestlers. Boulder hammered via jumping knees and controlled certain portions of the matchup. McDaniel is so resilient during the duration of this match. McDaniel defeats Boulder after utilizing a tomahawk chop, which is just classic. And it was so cool hearing Lawler on the uh, commentary call. I've got to reinstate that some more. Additionally, in other words. Our next match is a six-man tag team match. Chassis, the body, Ventura, Ken Patera, Blackjack Lenza versus Jim Brunzel, Rick Martel, and Greg Gagne. Gagne and Brunzel are the high flyers, a very dynamic duo, to say the least. I'm not talking about comic books either. It's pro wrestling. Patera goes against Martel. They called him Ricky Martel, not just Rick Martel, during this era. And Bobby Heenan is just one of the greats of all time, if not the greatest managers, wrestlers, just overall talents is the brain. Heenan manages Lanza, Ventura, and Patera. They're part of the Heenan family. This faction started actually in the AWA well before he made the jump to uh, Vince McMahon and the World Wrestling Federation to add some context. Martel has accelerated the pace by arm-dragging the Olympian. Strongman Patera. Audiences see quickness versus size and power. Pretty elementary, but it worked concerning the storytelling process. I was fascinated watching Jesse Ventura here. Greg Gagne's athletic strategy proved impressionable. The villains execute a triple team. Lanza tried dominating Gagne and Ricky Martel. Came in abruptly fast. He targeted Lanza's wrist. Usually smaller wrestlers hit the legs of the bigger foes, but instead there were plenty of hammerlocks employed here. Ganya enters aggressively on Patera, and Ventura stops Greg's advances. Exciting action throughout. They all brawl, and Heenan gets drilled by Brunzel. Of course, Heenan's got to get his up-and-comings, that's for sure, by getting involved. Patera then pinned Brunzel. Patera, Lanza, and Ventura won. Patera had a foreign object, though, circa Bobby Heenan. The Heenan family takes a beatdown afterwards. What happened? Commentator Rod Trongard was showing a replay where, if you didn't pay attention in real time, Bobby Heenan handed Kid Patera some kind of illegal weapon where he nailed Jim Brunzel when Brunzel was putting on an Indian deathlock, kind of a form of a figure four leg lock to be more exact or precise even. And uh, that, that's the uh, little nuances about wrestling that I enjoy, even going back in slow motion when uh, referencing the replay here. And uh, great job by the, the announcer, Trongard. He had that smooth, uh, rich, classic voice, which was uh, indicative of all the territorial wrestling. And our seventh match, to me, should have been the last match, but I'll save that for another time or another day, at least. It would be AWA World Heavyweight Champion Nick Bockwinkle defending versus Hulk Hogan. Hulkamania was arguably born previously in the AWA, well before Hogan teamed with Vince McMahon for WWF's 
currently WWE's National Expansion and Takeover of Professional Wrestling by titling their form of wrestling more sports entertainment. For me, Nick Bockwinkle exemplified the definition of a world champion pro wrestler. From promos to dressing up in suits and intellectually utilizing verbal skills to outclass challengers, his in-ring work rate spoke for itself. Pairing him and Bobby Heenan is just a genius win-win combination. Hogan came out to music. The only one I noticed that came out to music was Zumhoff and then Vern Gagne later, but we'll get to, to that. It's also another main event, actually the last match regarding the card. Fans adored Hogan. He was definitely over. Hulk confronted Bachwinkle. It presented a big fight expression, or you could say feel. I just tried to change up the wording a little bit, but to make sense of it all, Wally Carbo was introduced by Gene Okerlund and the president of the AWA, Stanley Blackburn. And Lord James Blears was a famous wrestler out of the UK who officiated the matchup. Supporters chant Hulk. They were all about the Hulkster in 83. Bachwinkle makes Hogan wait. Dictating the pace is an experienced move on the part of the AWA champion. Hogan demonstrated power. He had the size advantage. It's not that Bachwinkle is a small man, but compared to Hulk Hogan, especially prime Hulk Hogan, he was even bigger than he is now. And he, I think he's 6'4 now. I think then he was 6'6 or 6'7. So it just goes to tell you the tale of the tape. There you go. Is what I was trying to think of that. The champion sells Hulk's offense. That makes your opponent look great. That's another Tyler's takedowns. I'm going to have to work on that and and get that point across a little more. I kind of like the way that flowed there, if I do say so myself. How about you, the listeners? Bachwinkle's facial expressions exude confidence, yet concern when need be, when it's a necessity at various times. Hogan controls early on. Hogan met with the champ. It allows Bachwinkle to regroup. And let me go back. What I meant by the word met is Hogan was on the offensive. Let me also try to correct myself there because I, I got to admit, I'll top things and hey, there's going to be errors. So I'll do my own edit the best I can. But anyways, Bachwinkle, getting back to that point, he regrouped to reinstate this point. And Bachwinkle chose his opportunities to attack. He was an opportunist. Hulk paid him back, though. Classic comebacks depict hope for our challenger, Hulk Hogan here. Bachwinkle used his other hand when applying front-face submissions, whether it's a front-face chancery or or face lock. A heel breaks the rules for achievement in knowing the referee's movements, with all due respect to the official. Hogan began his hulking up while he was in AWA. The pinfall creates an urgency that produces anticipation of winning. Bachwinkle did everything so well that it meant something. It was significant. Important, you could use those terms, related to the story. Blair's got taken out inadvertently twice during the matchup. Hogan won a new champion, or so we thought. Okerlund then informs everyone that Blackburn ruled Hogan was Hogan, pardon me, threw Bachwinkle over the top rope, reversing the decision, so still AWA champion Nick Bachwinkle. And Hogan unloads on Bachwinkle and Heenan. Both of the heels, the villains. Of course, heels is a wrestling term. It was a terrific encounter. I highly recommend going out of your way, if nothing else, then watching this uh, epic bout between Bachwinkle and Hogan. And there was a lot of other great matches. The women's match, uh, 
just there, there was a, a lot of outstanding action. I'll just go back to what I said at the top of the show. Our main event is Vern Gagne coming out of uh, retirement, teaming up with Mad Dog Vashon versus Adnan, or Adnan, I've heard it pronounced both ways, Al Casey and Jerry Blackwell. Adnan Al Casey sadly passed away earlier this month at 84 on Wednesday, September the 6th. So rest in peace to a legendary performer and Adnan Al Casey. He was also known under the gimmick as Billy White Wolf, a Native American type wrestling persona. Vern comes out of retirement as our big story. Ganya and Vashan chase the sheiks. Blackwell was a sheik, and I think at one point, even Ken Patera was a sheik. I think this was a recurring theme in a lot of wrestling territories to have sheiks. Vern punishes Blackwell. Mad Dog even bites Blackwell. He takes a chunk out of the big man. It's just just down and nasty, is all I can tell you. The good guys pummel their adversaries. Vashan goes after Al Casey's mouth. I love Mad Dog Vashan's aggressive nature. Adnan takes damage from both Vern and Vashan. I mean, that's why I got to be a little repetitive. Al Casey hits Mad Dog with a ring bell. Ganya helps his tag team partner. Vashan starts bleeding. There is blood. Adnan uses a chair and Vern goes crazy and allows Al Casey to beat up Vashan. Blackwell and Adnan make quick tags, though, by isolating their rival or their rivals. Let me make it plural in this case, but at the time, normally a double team will take place on the singular, the uh, the one individual. Blackwell is busted open. Ganya goes after both opponents, and Vashan calls Adnan's cast to strike Blackwell. Ganya and Magdog rip the cast off and just go to town on Al Casey's Injured arm, Vashon introduces Blackwell via a steel chair. Maybe it's a wooden chair. It's not a wooden heart like Elvis Presley sang about, I can tell you. But in the end, Ganya and Vashon win. Afterward, the baby faces beat up the hills in typical pro wrestling fashion. And I went through this one a little quick, even though taking my time, I had plenty of notes. But this concludes... Episode 4, Revisiting AWA Super Sunday 83 for Tyler's Takedowns. I've got some special shout-outs, though, before actually concluding the program. And that would be to Chain Wrestling with Cy Powell and Lord Max. The Volley Show with Matt Lewis and Dan Griffin. And Connor McCabe. Safe Play Sessions, the Doctor Who pod. And the HBK pod hosted by Cy. Looking at everything Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels. There you go. If you're a fan, check it out. In the corner with Benny Mac, when he's able to return, I highly recommend uh, checking out everything Benny Mac does. And in the corner is a tremendous program. And Nitro Nights, the hits keep on coming, featuring Scottish Danny and Cy Powell. The Nothingness Show by Benny Mac Productions, when it's able to return. Some of these shows will be on hiatus, but still want to plug them, show my support. And Murder in Mind podcast, hosted by Morty Jr. RSH with Josh Yvonne and Ben slash Chuck, because I've called him both names. Shout out to them. Just wonderful shows. Check in at Pal Place with Sharon and Sai, the uh, happily married, entertaining couple over in the UK. Sharon and Sai Pal. Gameplay Junkies 
with Benny Mac and Jack when it's able to return. And I want to support all of these terrific podcasts. And I'm Tyler Peters saying goodbye and until the next episode, which will be episode five. It's been Tyler's Takedowns reviewing AWA Super Sunday from 83, 1983 to be specific. I hope you're enjoying what I'm doing and what SJP World Media Network is able to provide via their social media platforms. You can check them out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and also Tyler's Takedowns at Tyler Takedowns. I didn't add the extra S, but that's true. If you look me up, I'm at Dustin Tyler 86 on Twitter. Uh, I'm, I'm doing quite a bit, and I'm blessed. It's, it's all because of your continued support. And until the next time, I'm actually going to say farewell for now. But please support SJP World Media. That's why i got to stress that point again in Tyler's Takedance, all the wonderful programming that they have, whether it's wrestling, non-wrestling related. These uh, ventures have you covered. And I'm actually saying goodbye for now. We revisited some American Wrestling Association, AWA, a promotion based out of the Midwest. And stay tuned for another brand new episode. And we'll let you know when that gets released. Also, real quick, I can't believe I almost forgot this. You can listen to this program via Spotify and Apple Podcast. So please do yourself a favor. A little bit of a you know bonus on top of the episode. But got to get all the advertisements out of the way. But I'm saying stay safe and farewell for now. This time for real. It's been Tyler's Takedowns. <laughs>